Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. So each weekend in the United States alone, uh, millions of people gather to hear about one billion words in sermons. And if you become a Christian and faithfully go to church, sermons become a big part of your life. And today we're going to talk about why, why that is. Uh, Now we're not going to do a whole series on this. This is just one standalone message Uh, If you're new to Rockbrook, what we normally do is we preach in a a sermon series, so we'll take a topic or a a passage of scripture and we'll preach on that uh, for several weeks. Uh, This summer we've been uh, doing some standalone messages that God has uh, put on our heart that don't really fit in a series. And uh, so today's not, this isn't a sermon series, come on, a sermon's boring enough, a sermon about sermons, like now, okay, Ryland, what are you doing? Oh man. But uh, meanwhile, this summer as we've been doing these standalone messages, uh, we've been getting ready for a really big series that we're going to start in just over a month from now. And uh, we've been getting so excited about this. I've been praying about this all year, and we've been working on this all summer. Uh, we're going to do what, what we call a spiritual growth campaign. Some of you uh, have been with us for those in the past. What's a spiritual growth campaign? Spiritual growth campaign is a season where we, uh, that we take and we just align the whole church. So uh, you're going to hear messages uh, on a topic and Bible verses and your kids in RBFK are going to hear the same kind of thing uh, for their age group. And uh, then uh, the small group study is going to line up with that. So there's alignment from adults, teens, kids, students, small groups, students, small groups. It all aligns for a very powerful season And it is powerful. It's one of the most powerful tools God has used to grow Rockbrook and grow the people of Rockbrook in profound ways uh, through weekend services, small group studies, a personal uh, study guide that our our entire church family uh, will have access to that you could uh, go through to reinforce this in your life. And it's a powerful guide. Personally, I am just, for me and my family, I'm getting so excited about this, uh, let alone excited for the church and you and your family, uh, as this will be a concentrated time of alignment uh, that's going to bear lasting fruit in your uh, family. The question of this spiritual growth campaign is simply this, what are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? Has anyone else noticed that truth seems to be a moving target today? That it's like, well, what was true yesterday, it seems like, well, maybe that's not true today, and it seems like truth is moving all around. And you want to build your life on truths that last, on something that lasts, on values that last. You want to build your life on something that it's going to be there and it's going to be true five years from now, 10 years from now, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now. God's truth, God's wisdom, God's love. And so we're going to build our life on values that last. That's the name of the spiritual growth campaign, building your life on values that last. Now, why am I bringing this up today, even though we're several weeks away from starting that? It's because uh, I've been talking with many of you who have been praying about or considering leading a small group. And 
I want you to know that this would be an awesome opportunity if you've been considering that because it's all going to be laid out for you. Every week, week by week of the, of the semester of the spiritual growth campaign will be laid out right for you. So if you want to start a small group with a couple of friends or your family or, or some people that you know or you want to step out and lead, this would be a wonderful opportunity. And at Growth Track... Uh, this afternoon, you could go uh, to be oriented on what it means to lead a small group. Now, there's going to be several other opportunities. Like I said, this is uh, weeks away. We're going to have plenty of opportunities to onboard onto this, uh, onto this spiritual growth campaign. Uh, but for some of you that I know that God's really been knocking on your heart to lead a group, uh, maybe you want something today to kind of solidify that and hear more about what that means. And that could happen at Growth Track today if you'd like. Uh, we're just getting excited about it. So much more information to come. This isn't even the trailer. This is just like the teaser for the trailer. You know how they like, just it's just the first words out of my mouth about it. We'll have so much more coming uh, in the coming weeks and coming days about what this is going to mean. Uh, but we're going to have a powerful, uh, powerful time together uh, starting in just over a month from now. I'm getting so excited. I'm just getting amped up even talking about it. Um, we're really looking forward to it. And uh, I'd love for you to consider about uh, what, uh, what's in store for you through the rest of the year and how we can finish this year strong and, and maybe make room for this in your life. Um, hey, shout out to the Rockbrook teens who are headed back from a conference in Alabama. And uh, they probably just in a little bit will be doing a little uh, Rockbrook service in the shuttle and they'll be listening to this and uh, they uh, do the songs that we do the weekend and kind of reenact the whole service and everything. And uh, they've been at a conference called uh, Motion, uh, which is in Birmingham, Alabama. Thousands of teens, a stadium of teens from all over uh, the country gathering together uh, for powerful teaching and times of worship and uh, connecting with one another. And uh, I just got these pictures yesterday afternoon. I have no idea what that is, but it looks awesome. We're going to do it at the end of summer. Everybody just bring your inflatable pool toys and everything, and we'll close it out with whatever that is. That looks awesome. But uh, hey, if they're listening to this uh, service, come on, give a hand to our teens, and we love you guys. Yeah. Okay, my heart goes out to somebody in uh, our church this weekend. And that is the person who is going to hear hundreds of sermons in their life and maybe never know why. Uh, if you become a member of this church and I become your pastor, and if you're loyal to your church, you're going to hear me preach hundreds of sermons. And my heart goes out to you, friend. It really does. But it's going to become a big part of your life. And so since this is a big part of your life, what if we just took one sermon in the middle of summer to talk about the purpose of sermons and the purpose of preaching. You know, one of our values for our, the core of our church, the dream team, is to remember why. And so every once in a while, we just like to zoom out and remind ourselves why we do what we do. And, and this is one of those things. Why, why is listening to a sermon part of your weekly rhythm as a person, as a Christian, as a believer? Why is it part of the habit of your life? Why is it that for about 2,000 years now, churches have gathered together and uh, in that congregation, someone stands up in front of them and for about 30 minutes delivers a sermon? Why did Billy Graham preach sermons? Why did Charles Spurgeon preach sermons? Why, why did uh, John Calvin and Martin Luther and the Apostle Paul and Peter and John the Baptist and John the Disciple and 
Why did, why did they preach sermons? Why did Jesus send out the disciples to preach? Why did Jesus himself preach? I'm name dropping this morning to let you know I didn't come up with this. I didn't start this. Have you never been to church before? I'm not the first guy to preach a sermon to a group of people. It's been happening for thousands of years now. Why? 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 That's the big question. Why do we do it? Uh, but before we can understand the purpose of preaching and the purpose of sermons, uh, we've got to understand really God's purpose. That What's the purpose for our life? God has a purpose for everything he does. He has a purpose for everything he's ever created. God never created anything that he did not have a purpose for. He has a purpose for the universe. He has a purpose for the world. He has a purpose for you, for your life. He has a purpose for what happens in your life, your family, your work, your schooling, the things that happen. And one of the problems people have is they've forgotten the purpose or the why. And preaching, the purpose of preaching, has to be in harmony with God's purpose for our life and God's purpose for the world. So let's first look at the purpose of mankind. If you look at scripture with me today, Romans 8, 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be, and say this line with me, conformed to the likeness of his son, Mm. that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What does scripture tell us is God's purpose for mankind? Here's God's purpose for mankind. If you're taking notes, it's to make us like Jesus. To make us like Jesus. Now, I could not think of anything or anyone better to aspire to be than Jesus Christ. Jesus was full of grace. Don't you want to be full of grace? Jesus was full of truth. Don't you want to be full of truth? Have some powerful convictions in your life? Jesus had an amazing connection with his creator, God, with God. Don't you want an amazing connection with your creator, with God? Jesus uh, was amazing. He cared for the outcasts and the lonely and he loved kids and he didn't get upset about trivial stuff. He got upset about things that that matter. Doesn't it drive you nuts when someone just keeps getting upset about stuff that doesn't really matter? You would have loved Jesus because he got upset about real things like the stuff that matters. He had conviction. He was humble. He was fun. He could take a joke. He could put up a fight. He's all the things we love. He laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is the full expression of love and joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And most importantly, Jesus honored God with his life. And we want to honor God with our life. And this is God's purpose to conform us into the likeness of his son, to make us more Christ-like, more like Jesus. It's been his plan from the beginning. Genesis 1.26 said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. From the very start, it's been God's plan to make mankind in his image. But man blew it. We fell, we sinned, and so God had to usher in a salvation plan. But from the very start, he said, I want mankind to be like me. Not to be me, but to be like me. Not to be God, but to be godly. And God created human beings that we might know him and grow to be like him. A couple more verses on this, 2 Corinthians three eighteen. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine, And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, 
so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. What does that mean? The earthly man is referring to Adam, the first man, and he sinned and he fell, and we carry the sin nature. We're bearing the, the image of Adam, of this earthly, earthly mankind. But there is a heavenly man, there's a greater Adam, there is Jesus Christ. And as we know him and grow to be like him, we reflect his nature and, and we can reflect the image of Christ. So what, what does it mean to be Christ-like? If that's the goal, what, what does that look like? And we don't have time to look at all the passages on this, but let's just summarize it. What does it mean to be Christ-like? If you're taking notes, to be Christ-like means to think like Jesus, feel like Jesus, act like Jesus. To think like Jesus, to have the mind of Christ. To feel like Jesus, to have the compassion and the humility and the integrity of Christ. To act like Jesus in, in everything that we do. Now how's that going to happen? How, how, is, how, how is God going to make us more like Jesus? If that's the goal, how is that going to work together and how is it going to happen? There's two primary ways that God uses to make us more Christ-like. Two ways. The first one is through circumstances. The situations, the problems, the difficulties, the things that happen around our lives that can be used to make us more Christ-like. And we talk about that a lot, the tests and the trials and in our life. If we'll persevere, they have, they have a purpose. Romans 8, 28 again, it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What's the purpose? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And there are many other verses that talk about how God is using our circumstances. I think I put three passages in your outline there. But the Bible says that God works all things together for good, that not all things are good. They're not all good, but they can be used for good and God can work them together for good so that we can be conformed to his likeness. Now God uses this way more than any other way. Why? Because you can pray and study the Bible and do all the other Christian disciplines for however many hours a week or even however many hours a day. But how many hours a day do you have circumstances? 24. <laughs> you always have circumstances. You always have things going on in your life. And so there's a constant molding of your life through circumstances. This is why we preach on the circumstances of life. It's why we talk about, how God, how can we surrender to God through the circumstances of our marriage and our relationships and our parenting and, and dealing with difficult people? And, and how can we use these circumstances in, in our life, of, in our temptations, in our grief, in our jobs, in our school, and the tests of life? Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. So we talk about life. We talk about not just Sunday morning life, but life throughout the week, your real life, your real circumstances. But we also bridge it with something else, and that is the other way that God makes us like Christ, and that is through applying God's word to my life, if you're taking notes. So the circumstances of our life, and rooting them into applying God's word to my life. Acts 20, 32 says, Now I commit to you, I commit you to God, 
and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying and he says, uh, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Both, both verses pointing to the word of God and talking about sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a big theological word for becoming like Christ. Becoming like Christ. God wants to sanctify you. He wants to conform you into the image of Jesus. How? Through circumstances and the word. One day, when we see Christ directly, uh, we're going to be transformed completely into his likeness, fully sanctified. When we see Christ face to face, that process will be completed. It says one day, 1 John 3, 2, we know that when Christ comes again, we will be like him because we will see him as he really is. When we see Christ in his full glory, I will be instantly changed. You will be instantly changed. The process will be completed. But right now, we don't see him face to face. So how does this happen? 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What's that verse saying? What does that mean? It means that when I see Christ face to face, I'll be like him. But right now, I don't see him face to face. Right now, I'm beholding him as in a mirror, beholding a reflection of Christ. What is the mirror? What is the reflection? What do we see of Jesus? That mirror is the word of God. The, the mirror, the reflection we see of Jesus is the word of God. When I look at Jesus in the mirror, read about his life, study his word, see what he has inspired, I reflect on his word, I'm changed. And we're being changed from glory to glory, from being changed from one degree of maturity to the next. And so the more we root our circumstances in God's word, the more we bridge our life to God's word, the more we're changed to become like Christ. James uh, just says this beautifully here in James chapter 1, uh, starting out on the screen and then it'll, it'll catch up with your outline. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is, some, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But, here's the important part, the man who looks intently into the perfect law, that's the word of God that gives freedom, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, wow, watch this, he will be blessed in what he does. Do you know people who are looking for blessings in all the wrong places? They're looking for significance, satisfaction, blessing in all the wrong places. This, James shows us how this process of change happens, how this process of blessing happens, how the process of becoming like Christ happens. If you're taking notes, we'll say it this way. When we look at the word, remember the word, and do God's word, we're inevitably changed. When we look at the word, remember the word, and do God's word, we're inevitably changed. And according to this passage, we're inevitably blessed. That's the power of the cross. It's the power of the empty tomb. It's the power of the word of God. Okay, here's the problem. Many people want to hear a style of preaching 
to get them to look at the word, maybe remember the word, but not do it. They want uh, a historical lecture with some Greek and Hebrew grammar thrown in, and they want to be informed, but not transformed, because we want to look at the word, but not do it. But the purpose of preaching and the purpose of hearing a, a sermon must be in harmony with God's purpose for mankind, how he's using circumstances and his word. So what's the objective of preaching? What's the objective of a sermon? How do, how do you know if a sermon's any good or not? How do you know if a sermon I preach is any good? I am putting, my hot, I'm putting myself in the hot seat this weekend, Right? that you're going to be able to know. You need to be able to walk away and know whether or not Ryland, my pastor, did his job this weekend. That he did, he did his job with that sermon. What's the objective of a sermon? How do you know if it's any good? Here it is. The objective of a sermon is to develop Christ-like convictions, Christ-like character, Christ-like conduct. Christ-like convictions, thinking like Jesus. Christ-like character, feeling like Jesus. And Christ-like conduct, acting like Jesus. So before I preach, I ask myself and I ask God, what do you want them to know? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? What do you want them to know? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? It's that week after week after week. How can we, uh, God, what do you want us, our, our conviction to be? How do you want that to impact our character? And how is it going to inform our conduct? Now, a lot of people, again, they want a sermon that only does parts of this or one of these, that it's just, it's going to give us a conviction or it's going to give us more knowledge. But no, it must be applied. Interpretation, explanation of knowledge doesn't go far enough. And if I intend to be a biblical preacher like Paul, like Peter, like Jesus, like John the Baptist, and if you intend to be good soil for that seed to, to plant in your heart, for that word to plant in your heart, our sermons must be life-oriented, not just simply increase your Bible knowledge. Because we already know way more than we're doing. We need to act on what we already know. And we have far more believers than we have doers. So what's the purpose for preaching? Many would say the purpose of preaching is to explain the Bible, it, it's to interpret the text. It's to help people understand the Bible. That's not the purpose. If you walk away just knowing more about the historical person, Jesus, or the historical person, James, and when he wrote the book, and, and who he wrote it to, and all those things, it does not go far enough. That's not the purpose. All those are means to an end. Ephesians 4 t tells us this, and it tells us where this is going. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, here it is again, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There you have it again, same purpose, becoming like Christ. Why did God give apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers, teachers, pastors to produce Christ-like people? Same purpose for the Bible, same purpose for life. Now, here's where this starts to get into preaching and what, and what you're a part of today, what you're listening to today. 
if you're taking notes, there is both a personal and corporate purpose in preaching and teaching. One of them is to uh, change the individual life, to build them up for, week, uh, for works of service, but also to build up the church together collectively. This is why uh, you can absolutely hear a message on the radio or through a podcast, and it's a powerful tool. I have preachers and sermons I listen to uh, throughout the week, but ultimately, it doesn't fulfill the purpose of preaching. It doesn't fulfill the purpose of a sermon, like sitting under a pastor and, and going week by week and, because that pastor is not shepherding the flock that you're a part of. Because as you read the scriptures and as you listen to sermons, what you're going to discover is there are whole verses, whole chapters, whole books of the New Testament that you cannot fulfill if you're not connected to a local body of believers, a local church. And that helps us focus on what truly matters. Uh, The Apostle Paul, talking about preaching, just started talking about the purpose of his teaching and instruction in 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 6. He says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things, and spend their time in meaningless discussions. Now, have you ever heard a preacher, don't point at him, uh, but have you ever heard a preacher uh, argue things that don't really matter? Talk about minutia of the Bible that really it doesn't matter. It's not going to make me any more Christ-like. I read an article this week from a pastor who uh, just was documenting silly arguments he's heard his members in his church have. Uh, One of them was an argument on whether or not the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. (laughs) A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. (laughs) A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. Come on, I have so many jokes about that that I'm just not going to tell right now. I can't, but. (laughs) Come on, they missed the whole point, right? They've missed the whole point, and they're being caught up in meaningless discussions. Colossians 1.28 says, We preach Christ to each person, using all wisdom to warn and to teach everyone in order to bring each one into God's presence as, here it is again, a mature person in Christ. So the goal of preaching is the same goal God has for us. That's to make us like Christ. To do that, we have to be willing to have our beliefs molded by God's word in the church. You know, have you ever asked yourself after you did something, why did I do that? Like maybe it was something that was a little bit out of character for you. It's the opposite of really what you wanted to do. But you did it. And you ask yourself, why did I do that? I ask myself that. What what was I thinking? Why did I do that? And the answer, what was I thinking? The answer, why did I do that? Is because I was, you were, we were believing something in that particular moment. Because we always act on a belief. We always act out on something that we believe in that moment, in that particular moment. And we'll, we'll believe uh, God is 
going to hurt me. God's way isn't the best way. And we think if, if I follow what I want to do here, it's going to cause me less pain. If, if I do this God's way, I'm going to end up broke. If I do this God's way, I'm going to end up uh, hurting. If I do this God's way, I'm going to have to wait a long time. And in that moment, we believe something. And we act on that belief. We always act on our belief. And we think, if I do it my way, it'll cause me less pain. It's a lie. Behind every behavior is something we believe. We are constantly acting out on our belief. And this is why when I preach, I always start with the belief. I start with the lie we're believing and what we need to believe about that thing and then how to act on it. If, you are, if you're taking notes, we'll say it this way. All behavior is based on a belief. What I think is the best thing to do. And we've been deceived in areas of our lives. And you can be a Christian. Love God. Follow God. Still have blind spots. Still have, have ways that you need to believe differently. And we've got to look at the lies we believe. When your parent does something dumb, it's because at that moment they were believing a lie. When your kid does something dumb, it's because in that moment they were believing a lie. Now, when you look at your life, when I look at my life, all we see is our behavior. We don't see every lie that we're believing. And the problem with that is that change starts with belief. It starts in the mind. This is taught all throughout the New Testament. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way you think will determine the way you feel. The way you feel will determine the way you act. We think it, we feel it, we act it. If you want to change the way you act, you must begin with the lie that you're believing. You must begin in the mind with what you think, with what you believe. Because thoughts determine feelings and feelings determine actions. Changing your mind. Choices lead, then the feeling follows. We choose what we believe. We choose who we're going to follow. We choose to think about that thing the way God thinks about it. And then the feeling follows. Here's the problem. You can't do that by yourself. I can't do that by myself. Some of these lies are blind spots. And we're not going to be able to redirect and fix all of the lies that we believe by ourselves. It takes preaching. It takes the word of God. It takes relationships with one another. It takes other people in your life doesn't happen overnight. It's going to happen week by week. Apostle Paul says gradually we're becoming more like Christ. It's going to come week by week through preaching, through relationships, through the word of God. The battle for sin really starts in the mind. And to change, I must see the misconception. I must be, be willing to be shown, and you guys are here today because you have this willingness. You're willing to be shown the lie you may be believing that doesn't line up with the way God thinks about it. Because we have patterns and beliefs, habits imprinted on our mind that make it so hard for us to change. It's like, it's like we're, we have an autopilot. It's like if you were to buy a speedboat and that has an autopilot function on it. And you say, I, I want this speedboat, I'm gonna autopilot uh, this speedboat to go north. And so the autopilot takes over to where you can even let go of the wheel and every inclination of this boat is to go north and you're just going north. But then one day you decide, I don't want to go north anymore, I want to go south. And you can start going south one of two ways. You could grab the wheel 
and by sheer manpower and willpower, turn that wheel to where the boat is going south, and it works for a little while. But what happens? You get tired. You can only hold it there for so long. And so we have one inclination one way, and we decide, I'm going to stop overeating. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going I'm to stop this pattern, this habit in my life. And we take the wheel and we turn it. And just through sheer willpower, we're able to stop. We're able to go the direction we want to go. But over time, we get tired and we let go. And the inclination, our belief takes over again. And we start going north again. So you could change it by manpower or you could surrender to God and change the autopilot. Change the way you think about it. Change the way you believe about it. Say, God, I'm going to think about this the way you think about this. And let it start in belief. Let it start in the mind. Let it start in the way you think about it. And not let it stop there, but create a conviction of this is, that, that, that this has now informed the way I feel about it. And now I'm going to act. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to act it out. Now maybe you say, I, I want to become like Christ. And I'm going to go work it out. And I'm going to do this myself. You've got to internalize it first. You've got to believe. This is why God calls us to believe in him. This is why works cannot save us, will not save us. It starts with belief. And if you want to be changed radically, permanently, we must do it the New Testament way. We must change our belief. The the biblical term for this is repentance. Have I changed the way I think about it? And I don't use the word every week, but you have not heard a sermon from me that I did not preach repentance. That we start, we're going to think about this the way God thinks about it. Have I changed my mind? Maybe it hasn't made it to the action yet. We're not going to be sinless. We're not going to be perfect. But repentance makes all the difference. Belief makes all the difference. It's the ultimate paradigm shift. And the applying the word of God. Because when I think like Christ, think about this the way you think about it, God. When it informs my feelings and my convictions, and I'm living it out, I'm accomplishing my purpose. So what are you believing? Let's address that now. Let's go to prayer. God, we just pause in the middle of our weekend to examine our life, to examine our purpose. We, we pause to consider our life. And God, we just, we just turn it back to you. Help us with our belief. But help it not to stop there. We don't want to be hearers only. But we, may we be people of great conviction and may we act on it. May we become more and more like Christ. If you're here today and you've, and you've never repented, if you've never decided to believe in God, to say to God, God, I want to think about my life the way you think about my life. I want to think about the world the way you think about it. I want to surrender to you. You can do that now, just in your mind, in your heart and mind. Say, God, I don't know what all this is going to mean for me, but I want to believe in you. I want to build my life around you. I want to build my life around truth. God, there's so many lies that that I'm believing and it's hurting my life, it's hurting the people around me. 
God, I'm willing for you to show me what those are. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.